Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous privilege, this honor of gathering together as family. Thank you for giving us this time of fellowship together, Father, that we can celebrate your Son and his good name and that we've, given, we've been given the opportunity to partake in that good name, to bring glory to you, Father, in time. Father, thank you for your patience, your mercy, your grace, and most of all, your love. Thank you for giving us and imparting to us faith that gives us the opportunity to live in the reality of that love, Father. And thank you for the opportunity to spread the good news about your Son. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality. May we never become familiar with these things, Father. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, undistracted devotion to the Lord. <clears throat> I want to review Tuesday's lesson, which was part eight in our series titled Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. I really enjoyed Tuesday's message because it pulled together the ideas of motivation, faith, and love, with love being the focal point. We began that message with a familiar passage. Let's go to um, Genesis 22, verse 2. Genesis 22, verse 2, a familiar passage to most of you. I'm going to skip uh, around it just to get the highlights with you. But this is how we began on Tuesday. A wonderful way to begin on the topic to insert the topic of love in our mainstream study, which is undistracted devotion to the Lord. Genesis 22, verse 2. He said, Take now your son, your only son, of course this is Abraham, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now that's a pretty large thing to ask. It's quite a charge to put uh, before uh, Abraham, before anyone for that matter. Take your son whom you love, uh, and that's important, whom you love, um, because this is what we've been talking about. Who do we love more than the Lord? This is a test. Uh, do you love your son? Or do you love me? I'm asking you to sacrifice your son, whom you love, for me, out of love for me. And so this is the great test. Um, look at verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself. That is what faith looks like, my friends. God will provide. Some of you would do well to have that tattooed on the inside of your wrist. God will, don't go doing that, but God will provide for himself. Just God will provide. It's amazing, I think, how often we forget that. So Abraham said, God will provide for himself. That's what faith looks like. The lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Go to verse 12. 
verse 12. The angel of the Lord said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Up here on the board, and this is where we're going to pause for a moment. Because you have done this thing, it sets sort of a uh, precedent, if you would. It sets a doctrine even in motion in our own souls, even today, where he says, because you have done this thing, the Lord reveals a cause-effect relationship between loving him more than our greatest loved ones and blessings. In other words, I know you love Isaac, but do you love me more? And because you have done this thing, I'm going to bless you. So there was the test, and then there's the cause and effect relationship to that test. So it's cause and effect, and that's what we see here. Because, that's a result, right? Because, there's a result. Because you have done this thing. So the Lord reveals a cause-effect relationship between loving Him more than our greatest loved ones and blessings. That's one of the great lessons here in this passage. So we have to ask ourselves in our quietest moments of reflection, do we love others more than we love the Lord? Do we love others more than we love the Lord? And you might say, I don't love others more than I love the Lord, but I love me more than I love the Lord. You are someone other than the Lord. And so that's a real solemn question I think that the Spirit's been putting before all of us. Do we love more others more than we love the Lord? And we shouldn't be afraid of even analyzing our deeds. You might say, oh, of course I love the Lord more. Do you? Do you? Because as your heart goes, so goes your deeds. Do you? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. To do the will of our Father. So we shouldn't be afraid of analyzing our deeds even. For as we're noting firsthand in this passage, that is what God analyzes. What does it say on the board? Because you have done this thing. Do. He did something. Doing. Activity. That's a deed. Because you have done this thing. So God analyzes our deeds, and therefore we ought to as well, because I think we can play games. I think we say, I love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul and all my might. Really? But why do you make decisions against him? So it's interesting in Revelation 2, 2 to 3, where the seven churches, the Lord speaks to the seven churches. I looked this up, and he uses the phrase, I know your deeds five times in his 
um, approach to the seven churches. He says, I know your deeds five times distinctly. And he talks about your deeds eight times in those two chapters alone, all talking to a corporate body, all talking to one of the seven churches. We've been focusing on Ephesus. You've lost your first love. I know your deeds, though, he says. And so it's interesting because he's talking to churches, and we're a church. And didn't the Spirit just say that? In his own way, I know your deeds. And I want you to confess, homo legeo. I want you to confess your deeds. You don't just confess sins. You confess everything in your life. I confess that I love the Lord. I confess that I've sinned. I confess just means I agree with the Lord. And so the Lord and His Spirit this evening are saying, we need to confess our deeds, good, bad, or ugly. We need to confess them. Come to terms with them. And be okay with what they reveal to us. Because we might be lying to ourselves. And saying we love the Lord when... Our deeds say differently. And so it's interesting when the Lord speaks to the seven churches in Revelation, he uses that phrase, I know your deeds, five times. And he talks to your deeds eight times. We also see an Old Testament reference in the New, Romans 2, 6 up here on the board. God will render to each person, person according to his deeds. And so again, God has no problem attracting our attention to deeds. He's not a big fan of lip service, frankly. Um, and so this is why we have scripture like this that will set us straight. God will render to each person according to his deeds. Again, look at verse 16 in Genesis 22. And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Again, this is quite a telling deed, isn't it? Because you have not withheld your son, the one whom you love. It was his only son. All the promises of blessings and descendants and what have you were presumably through this son who he had at late, a late stage in life. Um, Sarah laughed about it. And so this was a big deal, and it was quite the test. So it's quite a telling deed, bless you, up here on the board. Again, because you have done this thing, the Lord reveals the cause or a cause-effect relationship between loving him more than our greatest loved ones and blessings. I'm going to put you to this test, and that is the test that has been on this congregation this past week, whether you've been paying attention or not is another story, but that is one of the big tests. Who do you love? Who's your first love? Is it actually the Lord or is it some other person? Verse 17, indeed, he says, he carries on, because you have done this thing, withheld your son, or um, not withheld your son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. And just as a note, these blessings span beyond just Abraham's progeny, his descendants. Now, the Lord carries on and says, you're going to have descendants, you know, seeds, sands of the seashore, et cetera, et cetera. But he says, I will greatly bless you. And 
So you see this much broader blessing in view. He said, I will greatly bless you. That could be a lot of things. But it's on the coattails. It's cause and effect. Because you have done this thing. And in addition to specifically, he says, I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed, obeyed my voice. You shall be blessed because, there's that word again, do you see? Cause and effect. Now, we don't all have Isaacs, who he has asked us to sacrifice. But we have other things in our lives that we care deeply about. That he says, I need you to do this. I need to test you this way. I may need you to sacrifice this way for me, because it's a real test. And because you pass the test, I'll bless you. That's what he's saying here. Because you have obeyed my voice. You hear his voice every time you sit in those seats. You're hearing it right now. He's telling you. Because is a cause and effect. Blessings, whether you like it or not, are conditional. Not all, but the ones we're talking about are conditional. He says, because you obeyed my voice, I'm going to bless you. You shouldn't be afraid of that. It should charge you up in a, in a way. Because if you know that you abide in his commandments, if you keep his commandments and abide in his love, you get blessed. It makes it nice and clear. So this is an important lesson for all of us to ponder. The fact that the Bible never skirts the issue of cause and effect when it comes to conditional blessings is something we must accept wholly. Again, let me read that again. The fact that the Bible never skirts the issue of cause and effect when it comes to conditional blessings is something we must accept wholly. And here's the problem. I think it's sometimes easier to say, well, God loves me, so he's going to overlook that. We say stuff like that, don't we? Well, God loves me, and the Bible says that God loves me so much, and God is merciful, and God is gracious, and he is all those things. And because of those things, he's going to overlook all these other things. But that's not the case, because our God, first, is not mocked. Second, our God is a jealous God. If you prove, even with your deeds, if you prove that you love another more than you love him, you have a problem. It's not going to sit well with God. That's what he's saying. He wants to bless you, but if you love Someone else, starting with yourself, more than him, you're going to have a problem because our God is a jealous God. I didn't say that. Scripture says that up here on the board. Exodus 20, verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Again, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And he's also 
one to express his wrath and one who will not be mocked. Go to Romans 12, 19. Romans 12, 19. So we know that our God is a jealous God. And he's not afraid to express his wrath. And he definitely will never be mocked. Remember, we do not have the um, wherewithal or the right to uh, assume that time is the measure of our getting away with something. (laughs) That the construct of time somehow binds God and the longer it goes without the discipline, you know, like God forgets somehow. God is never mocked. And he he is not bound by the construct of time. The only thing that's saving you is that he must have another purpose for you. Otherwise, he'd destroy you. And that has nothing to do with time. Romans 12, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Notice that God says, I will repay. It doesn't say I might repay. He says, I will repay. There's no doubt. And so you have to, I know this is a mental exercise for most people um, that haven't taken like advanced physics courses, but try to take the construct of time out because God sees everything all at once. As clear as a bell. And say, if God's not mocked and he will repay, if you sin, there's a consequence to it. Do you understand? God is not mocked. So you have to pull out time and say that collapses everything, compresses everything into one reality that is God's viewpoint on things. And we have these doctrines. I will repay. Vengeance is mine. We humans are idiots. We think we can play the game we played with our parents. Nope, nope, statute of limitations. You ever have you, well, if you have kids, sometimes they tell you like years later. Oh, I used to hide it in my bedpost. What? Oh, I used to do that all the time. I did this for years, but you got statute of limitations. I'm married now, Joey. I'm married now. You can't say anything, Dad. Oh, you dog. Got away with that all those years? Yep. You know what I'm saying? These guys aren't like that. You can get away with that with parents. And even if you tell someone, like, oh, yeah, remember when you had that dent in your car? It was me. It was like three years ago, though, so you can't really say nothing. Come on, you can't hit me now. (laughs) Can't ground me now. It's been three years. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah, God's not like that. God says, I will repay. In other words, there's a cause-effect relationship that ends in cursing, too. And that's something that came up on Tuesday. There's a cause-effect relationship that ends in cursing, too. But let's get back to the positive side here. That is the cause-effect nature of blessings. You know what's arguably the greatest blessing of all? And this came up, I think, on Tuesday as well, but I'll clarify and amplify it here. What's arguably the greatest blessing of all? For us now, beyond salvation. Salvation is a great miracle in our lives, let's face it. But behind salvation was one thing. Love. That's the greatest blessing of all. Love. 
to be loved, to love God, and to love others. Love. It's the tie that binds it all together because God is love. And that's the greatest blessing of all, for us to even experience one iota of that which is God. Um, to that degree, we understand love, and that is the great blessing in time. I mean, that's, going to, that's my personal conception of heaven, is that I'm going to be completely, we're going to be completely enveloped in love. And it's going to be boundless love. And it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be amazing. Everything. And isn't that what we're after right now? Isn't that why people chase after dreams and counterfeits and wrong relationships? It's because everybody wants love. Some people just really want to express it. They're happy if they get it in return, but they just... Like an artist, you know, wants to express on paper or prose. Or, you know, they just want to express it. They have love to give. They want to express it. And there's nowhere to give. I mean, what do you give it to? The jerk The jerk at the, you know, it's working the, the counter at some, I don't know, diner or something in a mood. Do you know what I'm saying? There's nobody to give it to. It's wonderful to be able to give love and to receive love, to be loved. These are all wonderful things, that are the sphere of love that we've been learning about. But they come as the result, as a blessing. If you abide in my commands, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Who said that? Jesus. That's a conditional statement. With the result of the greatest blessing of all. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's a conditional statement. And that's why it drives uh, pastors like me absolutely bonkers that people don't want to abide by his commands. It drives us bonkers because we know what's on the other side. We know what the blessing is. The blessing is those people get to abide in love, godly love. Not the counterfeit. Not the one that they're thinking about while they're in their chair in church that they can't wait to get back to. Oh, he's been texting me again. Oh, I love him so much. He's so cute. That's just my mother. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? Like that kind of garbage? That's what, that's what Satan does. He says, I want to give you counterfeit. Love. I'll give you the blessing, and you don't have to uphold the command. I'll give you a counterfeit blessing, and you don't have to uphold the cause. I'm going to give you a workaround. And most people, you know, like, okay, I'd rather have it now. I'll, I'll sacrifice my first love. When we abide in his love, we are blessed. That is what the Bible tells us over and over and over and over again. When we abide in his love, we are blessed. That's the point that Jesus was making. Go to John 15, verse 7. I'm going to show you these conditional statements. John 15, verse 7. 
It's all the Spirit's trying to say. Remember, the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So when you hear, when you see your red letters in there, it's the same Spirit that inspired those things to be written down as the person who is saying them, which is Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. They have the same mind, the same heart, the, the same God. John 15, verse 7. If, you know what if is? It's called a condition. A conditional statement has just been opened up. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. How do I do that, Jesus? Tell me. How do I do that? First, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want. My dad likes doing things for his children. But you've got to abide in them. Well, how do I do this, Jesus? Well, he says in verse 10, if, another conditional statement, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Do you see it? It's just cause and effect. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that, in other words, the resultant blessing, the ultimate one, in many ways, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Isn't joy the result of being in love? Isn't that what everybody's after? I'm so in love, I'm so happy, I'm so joyful. Two months later, what a jackass. Will you ever say that about the Lord? Never. Because he never lets you down. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I hope you see from verse 7 through 11 uh, a continuum a pair um, of conditional statements that really just lay it all out in the line. This is what I love about Jesus' teaching so much. He just never minced or mixed his words. He just said it. And it's perfectly stated. It's just amazing how many people do not want the truth. I just had that conversation with someone the other day. Uh, people just don't want the truth. There it is. In, in what? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I had to do that for real. Five, that's sad. Five. Five verses. You pretty much have an entire, oh, I don't even know, a year of prayer. An entire month of deep meditation in five verses. A whole series to teach believers in five verses. I could I could right now looking at that seriously. I'm not even I'm not it has nothing to do with me. Easily write ten blogs on those. Easily write ten blogs on five verses. Anyways, a little further along, John makes a similar statement, or he writes a similar statement. John 16, 24. Until now, oh, you're not there yet? 
It wasn't like instantaneous? Oh, that's right. You're not God. You need time. John, John 16, 24. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. But you have to abide. Remember? We just read that in verse 15. Abide and you can ask whatever you want. A little further on, he says, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. So that, cause and effect in view, what? Your joy may be made full. Hmm. So if we synthesize what the Lord is saying throughout this, or these passages of Scripture, we realize that such blessings are indeed conditioned upon our abiding and then asking in prayer in accordance with His divine will. In other words, blessings, whether we like it or not, are conditioned. Joy, love, abiding in love, these are conditioned. He said it. So they're conditioned. These are conditions. One account we've looked at regarding all of this, of course, was the one we began with, which was Abraham's. Here's what the Spirit had to say about that up here on the board. This is from Tuesday's lesson. And it's just a bit of perspective. How about looking at Abraham's test as a test of love as well? Not just faith. He's in the, you know, the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame of Faith, etc. Um, but how about love? How about looking at it as a test of love? Because remember when we read it, it's recorded, I know you love your son. He's the only son you got. I know you love him. This is a big test. And Abraham passed it because essentially he said, I love you more. So again, as we've studied, Abraham is in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11, but we shouldn't limit what is actually disclosed to us about Abraham in that beloved passage. We might view that passage with a particular lens that Paul provided back in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, up here on the board. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. But the greatest of these is love. And so we can look at Abraham's account and say he loved God more than he loved his own son. And I don't know about you, but I know very few people that could say that the way Abraham obviously could. How many people could take... Some of you couldn't even take your animal. If God said, take your cat out on the lawn and sacrifice it to me, some of you would be like, Nope, not happening. Take your dog. Take your gerbil. Nope, not, hap <laughs> not happening. Someone might have a gerbil. I don't know. What do people go with? Guinea pigs now? Scott's like, hmm, yeah. I could, I could just, yeah. Scott's trying to tame some of the turkeys in his backyard. It's not going to work, Scott. Some of you couldn't even do that. Never mind your son, who you waited 100 years for. So after all of this, we can conclude with confidence that blessings like joy and peace, you ready? They're conditional. They're conditional. We can conclude that the great blessings that everyone wants, joy, peace, abiding in love, they're conditional. I think maybe a lot of Christians don't understand this. That would be my guess. 
or they don't want to understand it because they, they don't want the truth. They want their counterfeit loves and their, they want their cake and they want to eat it too, that thing. They want their counterfeits and they want Jesus. They want both. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't have both. You can have me or that. If you have me, if you abide in me and my commandments, then I'll give you these blessings. But if you choose to abide to whatever degree you do it, and these other things, you're losing out. So these blessings are conditional. And I think a lot of Christians don't understand it or don't want to understand it. The truth is that we lose such blessings when we choose to focus our attention and often our affections on someone or something other than our first love, who is Jesus Christ. Arguably, our greatest failure is with people we love. I think most of us would agree with that, that uh, people, or even, I, I brought up pets and some of you squirmed. I know that you love your pets, but I don't, whatever. But our greatest failure is with people, typically, that we love. While the Lord has intended for us to have and enjoy such love, He never intended for us to replace Him, to supplant Him. Of course He wants us to have love in our life, but He doesn't want to be replaced. That's the point. So here's the question that was posed to us on Tuesday. The blessing of loved ones. Everyone in here should have someone that they love and are loved by, I would assume. Um, if not, come to my office. I'll tell you I love you. It's not, I mean, it's a consolation prize, but, you know, just saying. I'll even give you a hug if you need it. Except John. I'm not hugging John. Hug John enough. <laughs> John, you got Pat. Stop. The blessing of loved ones. Are those people in those relationships more precious to you than the Lord himself? I think Again, well, how do we start off? I know your deeds. Don't just write this off, this conviction off, and say, oh, no, I love the Lord way more than I love my whatever. You fill in the blank. The Lord sees your deeds. Do you? Only you can decide. It's a simple, fair question, one that we must be honest about, if we are to ever receive said conditional blessings. And be like, but, but, but I, I think that is my blessing. No, it's not. But God, God said special to me that he's really not that jealous in my case. I can love this other person. But it's just one person, just one person. More than anybody or anything else in the world, including Jesus Christ. God's good with that. No, he's not. Nowhere in Scripture does that actually exist. If it did, I would teach it. But it does not. Actually, the exact opposite exists. Jesus goes so far as saying, if you don't even hate your father and your mother, there's no room for this. There's no room for the, um, the lies that we tell ourselves. If you love someone more than you love Jesus Christ, um, you lost your first love. And the blessings are not there. As a matter of fact, you're going to lose out on blessings. So stop calling that person a blessing in your life in that way. 
A lot of you have to think about that. Maybe that's why some of you have been stagnant for so many years. I don't know. Maybe you have put somebody else in front of Jesus Christ, and then you call that person a blessing. They might supposed to be a blessing, but you've perverted the blessing by putting them up on a pedestal above the Lord. Putting your relationship with them above the Lord. That's why I always get angry um, when I hear of people, you know, missing church because their spouse is being a jackass. To hell with them. Leave the house and go to church. Seriously. Nobody has a right to stand between you and the Lord. Now, if they are, there's a problem. Food for thought. I'm just trying to protect your blessings. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to a place of blessing. That's my job. I'm a shepherd, right? Come on. <laughs> Let's go. But I'm in love with the berries in the thicket. Yeah, I can tell. It's time to move on. But there's two sheep over there, you know, frolicking together. <laughs> Let's go, lovebirds. Right? <laughs> so we have to be honest if we're ever to receive said conditional blessings. Said differently, to whatever degree we love others more than the Lord,